There's a difference between sheep and goats. Now, I'm not telling you guys probably anything you don't already know about sheep and goats, but bear with me a little bit. Sheep know the voice of the shepherd, correct? More or less, but that's the general twist of things. If you got a shepherd, especially in the Middle East, that shepherding, different than America where they do it a little differently, they lead the sheep around. They know them by name. They paint the color orange on them or something like that. And, and they got uh, that kind of relationship with them. Now, in the Middle East and the Eastern culture, usually within the flock, which is different than the United States from what I hear in big conglomerates, goats are mixed in with the sheep. Now, anybody here ever dealt with a goat? Goats usually don't, if at all, listen to the sheep, the shepherd, do they? No. So what do they use? Dogs. To get that goat going where the shepherd wants them to go. But the sheep, on the other hand, listen. So that concept is representative of God and Jesus, who are our shepherd. And this concept is used many times in the Old Testament and the New Testament. The reality is, it teaches us one big concept. He loves his sheep. The lesson today is called Our Shepherd. And the first point is his name. Psalm 23, verses 1 through 3. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I hope you can agree with me, but I think God's name is very important to God. And it should be to us as well. Why? Well, he's different than any man-made God out there. Cultures have their gods, and what do they create to represent their gods? Images. And what do they put on those images? Faces. You go back to Egypt, where you learn that all those gods they had had faces. The crocodile, the frog, on and on and on, Pharaoh himself. All these gods had faces. They had representations of who they were or who the people wanted them to be. And then we can look at the people when they were at Mount Sinai. What did they want? What they demand from Aaron? Well, maybe Egypt wasn't fully out of them. Do you think it was by that time, just not too long after? They wanted an image. They wanted something they can bow down to. And of course, we understand that this is not an approved practice of God. Right in that context, and I brought this out in class this morning, 
But Moses wanted to see what? God's face. God's face. And what did God do? Did he really show him his face? No, not at all. Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 through 7. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Did God give Moses an example of how to create an idol with God's perfect face that we can all bow down and worship? No, he didn't do that at all. But what did God show Moses? His character, his nature, merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands and forgiving the iniquity of everyone who turns to him. And that's a pretty big list. Now, amongst that whole big list, we have one little spot at the end. What is it? He will punish those who don't turn to him. So if you look at it from that point of view, what part of God does he want us to see first? His love, his forgiveness, his steadfastness, his kindness. He wants people to see that and know that, but also know, rightfully so, that he is not one that you can just treat in any old way and not listen to. God showed his character. Psalm 23, verse 3. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Why? For his name's sake. Now, King David, since he was a young boy, knew about shepherding. He knew about the sheep's needs, hydration, food, protecting from pests and predators. He knew his sheep and his sheep knew his name. Now, did they set up an idol of David and say, aha, bah, that's our... No, David was a protector. David led them to water. David led them to food. David helped those sheep from pests and protected them at night in a pen. David's character was to love, as a shepherd, was to love and take care of the sheep. So it's not hard to transition putting God as the shepherd and his people as sheep, is it? Why do we follow God? Has he given you a big, nice new car lately? No, 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 no. Has, has he paid off all, uh, uh, all your expenses for the year? No, no, maybe some of you, I don't know. 
He's loved you. He's forgiven you. He's brought you to safety. And he takes care of you when things aren't looking very good, too. Does he not? Little scary places. Now, the reality is, for him to be your shepherd, it's important to choose him. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. So we have a God who knows his sheep. And his sheep are expected to what? To follow him. Not to stray on paths that he doesn't direct. So he taught the apostles through the Holy Spirit what we need to know and the paths that we need to follow. Because if you look at 2 Timothy in that context, who was involved in iniquity? It was people like Hymenaeus and Philetus who have swerved from the truth saying that the resurrection has already happened. A doctrine that wasn't taught by the apostles. You see, sheep are concerned about following his name. For his name's sake. They're concerned about following his character. <clears throat> and the reality is, goats are not. Goats are not. You need dogs to drive them. The second point. His sheep. Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they, what? Comfort me. So I started thinking, why sheep and not goats? I mean, goats are funny. They have some antics. They'll bah, bah, or whatever they do in your ear all day long if they're not getting their way. They'll jump on your car. And when you tell them to get off, do they get off? No, nah, you got to go and pick them up. They'll jump on your roof, They'll, wherever they can jump. And if you're not careful and you got your back to them, they might just <clears throat> ram you. Sheep listen. Though they sometimes stray, they do that. Goats do their own thing. Goats do their own thing. In America, again, there's not a lot of combining a flock of sheep and goats, according to what I'm told. But in Eastern culture, there's a lot of that. And you'll see, if you look back in Genesis, sometimes they separated the sheep from the goats. And you can imagine sheep, they got to go to the shears for the wool. Goats, they need milking. There's another reason why they might separate the sheep from the goats at certain times, and that's for feeding. Sheep eat differently than goats do. 
Now you ranchers out there know what a sheep does to your field. It pulls it from the roots, doesn't it? Goats, that'll eat everything, but I don't think they go all the way down like a sheep does. So if you send the sheep out in all areas, what's going to happen? You're going to destroy your pasture. There won't be anything for the goats. They're different patterns. So the shepherd has to understand that. So Christian read us a story this morning out of Matthew 25, verses 31 through 36. And it starts off with Jesus saying something interesting. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And as we remember that story and try to summarize it, you have the, the people who followed the ways of God, and they're welcomed into heaven. What did we do that got us this? You fed me. You gave me water. You visited me in prison. Basically, you showed compassion. When did we do that for you? When you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. Those are the sheep. Do they stray sometimes? Yeah. But they listen to the one in whom they whose character they follow. And that's God. But the goats, when did we see you thirsty? When did we see? Depart from me. Depart from me. Why? Because they were doing their own thing. They weren't listening to the shepherd. The point. Those who listen and live his character are the ones who will be saved. Those who don't will not. What character? Well, compassion for his children would be one. Do you have confidence in God as his sheep? Have you ever been in the valley of the shadow of death? Now think of a shepherd. All right. David is very creative here. But God's wisdom can be understood in deep ways. You ever been on a big hill, maybe not a mountain? The sun's coming down on this side. The sun's still on that hill over there. What's happening on this hill? Shadow. What happens to the temperature when the sun doesn't hit it anymore? It gets colder. It gets darker. You can't see very well. So here's David with this flock going through the mountains. And I can just imagine him, uh-oh, we're in the valley of the shadow of death, in a sense. I better put the, the sheep up so they're protected. It doesn't mean that you won't get scared in this life. 
But if you know the shepherd's there, he'll take care of you. He'll take care of you. The rod and the staff are a wonderful guide. Of course, if you get the rod by the parent, you're not too happy at the moment, are you, Owen? But right away, or in time, you get a what? A hug, a love, an expression of, you're still mine. I just needed to guide you on the right path. That's comfort. That's comfort. You see, God's spiritual sheep are representatives of his name, his character. Listen to this in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. Jesus said, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep among what? Wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. We often say, what about sheep? And then classify it as Christians. Especially when we stray. We're kind of dumb sometimes. Stupid. But in the context, he's sending out his disciples who are God's sheep. But are they going out as dumb sheep? They are going out as doers. They are going out as defenders. They are going out as evangelists. They are going out as followers of God. They are not ignorant of God's ways or his path. I am sending you out as sheep among the wolves. You are not stupid if you follow my path or a dumb sheep. You are out knocking down the gates of hell because Jesus' message is coming. Is that a different concept of sheep? We're not these little passive creatures. We are hearers and doers of the shepherd's will. We are not goats. The last point. His house. Psalm chapter 23 verses 5 and 6. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell where? In the house of the Lord. How long? Forever. I want to be his sheep. Even when I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I want to be his sheep. Because I rejoice in his name. I want to be his sheep. Because I want to do what the shepherd wants. Because the shepherd has character. And that character exemplifies God. Will his house have any goats in it? 
Will his house have people that want to do their own thing? Those who listen, this is an interesting passage. I learned uh, a little bit here. I had a concept about you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. In the Eastern culture, when you dealt with forgiveness and sorry, they didn't come up and shake hands and talk about it like that, like we might do, and then hug each other. They probably hugged each other and all that. But if you made food and invited them over and you ate together, that was reconciliation. That was you showing that you're forgiving your enemies. That's a different twist on the Western thought, isn't it? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies who are not my enemies anymore. They're brethren under God. Because they are now his sheep. You, had, you anoint my head with oil. You got rid of the pests, the iniquity. The oil covers the sheep. My cup overflows. You can't add any more, but you are. What joy! For those of us who have enemies in this world, wouldn't it be nice if we fixed a table of food and invited them over, showing our forgiveness and our reconciliation? Hebrews, beautiful passage, chapter 3, verse 6, but Christ is faithful over God's house. As a son. Different than what Moses was over the house as a servant. Christ is over his house as a son. And we are what? His house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. This confidence and boasting doesn't rest on me and my achievements, for I have very little. It rests on the achievements of the shepherd, Jesus Christ. He is our shepherd. And we can boast and have confidence that if he's going to take us to heaven to be a part of his house, he's going to do it. For those who follow him like sheep. It's a grand house. It's a grand house. And I, and I know God wants that for everybody. So are you dumb sheep? Or does God have a mission? 
Does God think you're capable of doing what He wants you to do? Do you trust Him as the shepherd to go out among the wolves? The lesson is called Our Shepherd. The first point is His name. His name is very precious to Him. The second point is His sheep. His sheep are very precious to Him, but we need to listen to Him. Third point is His house. And according to Hebrews, we are His house. And He has a beautiful place. And I can see it in your hearts. It's a beautiful place. If there's anybody here who has any needs, any prayer requests or otherwise, please come forward as together we stand and sing. Are you wearing a parachute? If a stewardess or on an airplane handed you a backpack and said, would you mind wearing this on your flight? You might say, and reasonably so, no thank you, that would be uncomfortable. But what if she forced you to wear the backpack? Well, you're probably not going to be very happy. You'll probably be wiggly and, uh, and, and grumpy and, and just not doing very well. Now, what if she handed you a parachute and says, the plane is about to explode would you wear the parachute? You would probably find it quite comfortable, or at least comforting, knowing that you had a way to save yourself because the plane is about to explode. In the same way, people try on religion, hoping for the comfort that comes with it. But we find out that religion is not always very comfortable. We lose our job because we won't cheat somebody even though the boss says we need to. The preacher is not good, as good as the one on TV. I, don't, I know you don't have that problem. Your personal time is afflicted. Why are you still laughing at the last one there? Your personal time is afflicted because you need to help Mrs. Jones when you'd rather be playing golf. This religion is not as comfortable as you believed. But the reality is the Christian life does not use a lumpy backpack. But we have something that's comfortable in the, same, in the way that it is comforting, like a pillow. We have the only chance to be saved. And that is, in essence, according to the slide, wearing Jesus as your parachute. The lesson is called, What Makes a Strong Christian? And the first point is Christ. First and foremost, Christ is what is going to make you a strong Christian. He is truly our parachute pack because he has our only chance. He is our only chance to survive in this world. Now, the world needs to know this truth, according to Matthew 28, 
18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. If we were in a plane, you would want that parachute with you always. And the world is like that plane that is about to crash. But Christians need to be reminded continually sometimes that we have put him on. So don't take it off and fall back into worldliness. Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. For as many of you as were baptized in Christ have what? Put on Christ. We've put them on. You see, the world desires to sink us in the depths of the greatest oceans. When we jump out of that plane, do we fall down into the water quickly as if we have rocks in our pants? Or do we have a parachute that guides us in and safely brings us into safety and salvation? Romans chapter 13, verses 13 through 14. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but again, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions to satisfy or for the flesh to gratify its desires. Sounds like Paul was listening in her Bible class this morning in, and when he wrote Romans. You see, we put Christ on when? In baptism. So we need to live as Christians in a way that shows that we have not taken him off. That's what helps make a Christian strong. Second point, partnership. Since we are constantly tempted, I am. Everybody here tempted? Yes, I can see. It. I know. You don't even have to admit it. We need each other to make us stronger Christians. Christians are tempted. Why? Because we still have worldly desires. James chapter 1, verse 14. To deny that understanding is to deny our need for Jesus because we still have worldly desires. But having each other can help us be stronger Christians. <clears throat> for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18. Do we not have Jesus 
with us in the body. He's the head of the body, but he's also our friend, our brother, our savior, a fellow human being who understands us. He has been tempted in every way like we are. So he's there in our partnership. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of what? Gentleness. Galatians 6.1 You see, Christ helps us. Now, I'm not saying that we are in a 50-50 relationship with him because he is our Savior, he is our Lord, but he is constant in presence with us. His Holy Spirit is, his truth, his love, his discipline. He is our parachute. Not the one sitting next to us when we fly the plane, but the one who saves us because we are going to crash. You see, it's all Him and our choice to be led by Him in all things. Kind of goes back to last week's lesson, dealing with the shepherd and the sheep and any other lesson you might have studied. What did Jesus say? My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they what? Follow me. Kind of the idea of walking by the Spirit, right? Following Him. John chapter 10, verse 27. He spoke this way to His initial disciples, and the same to us. Follow me. I will lead you, and you're all my sheep. You're all partners together in this walk that I have for you. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will also be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. John chapter 12, verse 26. But other Christians help us as well. And we should utilize them. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Right after Peter's sermon and their decision to choose Christ, what does that passage bring up? Acts 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. And what? The fellowship. To the breaking of bread and the prayers. They understood right away that their relationship with Christ had made them partners. There to help each other. Help each other grow, help each other through the difficulties, help each other through means, prayers, hugs. At the loss of a loved one. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 says this, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, then we have what? 
fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus continually cleanses us from all our sins. Fellowship is important. Partnership is important. What makes us a strong Christian? Well, first and foremost, it's Christ. And then, believe it or not, it's each other. Because Christians aren't meant to be an island. We need each other to grow, to live, to follow God. The words of Christ are also important in making us a strong Christian. And we have so many more things that help us become a strong Christian. But those things written down from God, it's like gold. What is that? In settings of silver? Your words? It's precious. It's helpful. It's beautiful. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me, Paul says, in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. You see, the Holy Spirit is in us, so let's keep the sound doctrine. Why? Because he wants us to walk by the Spirit. We need to follow the Spirit. How the Spirit wants us to live and to grow. What are the good things from God? How does, what's the pattern He wants for the body, for the family, for the self, for our growth? It comes from God. It comes from His written Word. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, what do we do? Guard the good deposit that has been entrusted to us. 2 Timothy 1.14 And if you're guarding it, you're watching it. It's right there in your vision. I don't want to go that way because this is the way that the Holy Spirit wants me to go. This is the way I'm going to walk. Not that way. That way. The Word also teaches us to put on a new self. And this comes out of Colossians chapter 3, basically what Christian read this morning. And I won't go through all those in detail, except to say this. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, brings up the idea that you were raised with Christ. And because we've been raised with Christ, what are we to seek? Worldly pleasures? Worldly desires? Or the things that are above? The things that it should be in our visual? Where Christ is? Seated at the right hand of God. Colossians 3, 5-9 says this. Have you put to death... What is earthly in you? Sounds like it's supposed to be a permanent thing. If you do that, guess what? 
you will become a stronger Christian because if you put to death the things that are of a worldly desire, our personal passions, then all we're going to see is what Christ wants for us through the Holy Spirit, through his written word. Will that make you a stronger Christian? See, do you have a new self on? Well, you do when you're baptized into Christ. A new self. But according to chapter 3, verse 10, are you continually renewing your new self in God's knowledge? You see, becoming a stronger Christian doesn't mean that I will never have problems. It doesn't mean that I will never have issues in life, a tragedy, the loss of a loved one. It doesn't mean any of that. What it does mean is that I can rely on those who are in the body to help me. And I can rely on God to take care of the big picture. And if I can do that, do you think that will bring you more peace, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, Gentleness, self-control. Doesn't sound like a lot of the worldliness we're taught out there, is it? To rely on God and not on ourselves. That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. Unless you are walking by the Spirit, guided by Christ, following His pattern, learning to live the way He wants us to do and trusting in Him. If we're not doing that, then it doesn't make sense to the world. Who thinks it's a constant battle? I do. Very good, thank you. It's a constant battle. But it's not a battle we should give in and follow the path over here. We need to follow his path constantly, daily, taking up your cross daily and follow him. You remember Jesus saying that? Take up your cross, oh, just once? No, daily, daily and follow me. Galatians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17, and I'll close on that. Galatians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written... Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith.
To give a human example, brothers, even with the man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say unto Abraham's offspring, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ. That was supposed to be Colossians. Chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. Let me just go there, and then we'll be finished. Colossians, chapter 3, 12 through 17. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in you richly. Rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thanksgiving, thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Now, does that teach us in any way about our personal desires? Or does it teach us about putting on everything that we are given from God? How do you make a strong Christian? You let God direct the path, and you stick to it. If there's anybody here this morning who has any...